Hello, I'm Lauren Foster. Welcome to the Take 15 podcast, the series where we bring you short conversations with some of the world's most interesting and accomplished people. This week's guest checks both those boxes. Bill Browder is a former hedge fund manager whose best-selling book, Red Notice, has been hailed as part John Grisham-like thriller, part business and political memoir. In this episode, Browder sits down with my colleague Richard Fernand to talk about the role personal history and timing played in the course of his career. He shares his evolution from rebel capitalist to activist investor to full-time human rights activist. I hope you enjoy this timely conversation. Bill Browder, welcome. Great to be here. So you started your career as a consultant. You moved to being uh, an investor, but an entrepreneur, starting your own firm, Hermitage Capital, an activist investor, and then through to being a, a human rights lobbyist and activist. Right. So um, uh, yeah, a massive career trajectory, which you write about brilliantly in, in your book, Red Notice, which I'm sure many of our, our members will have read. Focusing on the investing part of your career, um, you were in the post-Soviet Union uh, uh, Russia at a time of the, the privatizations. How much of your investment success do you put down to skill or luck at being just right place, right time? Um, well, I, um, uh, I'm sort of a modest individual, so I, I would say that um, uh, certainly being in the right place at the right time was a requirement of the whole thing. And I actually didn't set out um, to do this. I, I wasn't um, motivated by money when I first started my career. Um, I, I actually went to Russia for a totally different reason, which was that I had this strange family background. My, my grandfather was the head of the American Communist Party in the 1930s and 1940s and um, was persecuted viciously in the 1950s. And, and when I was going through my teenage rebellion, I was trying to figure out a way of rebelling from a family of communists. Um, and I, I figured out the best way of doing that was to put on a suit and tie and become a capitalist, which, which achieved the objective. It really did upset my family. Um, so I became a capitalist. Um, I went to business school, went to Stanford, and I graduated in 1989, which was the year the Berlin Wall came down. And as I was trying to figure out my the next step in my career, um, I said, if my grandfather was the biggest communist in America and the Berlin Wall has just come down, I'm gonna to try to become the biggest capitalist in Eastern Europe. And so, and I didn't do it because I was like, had my you know, eyes on money or I was trying to make, I, I did it because of this strange family story. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's what got me to Russia a lot earlier than other people who were doing the, the, the math, the calculations. In the same way as, I don't think that Bill Gates became a, um, uh, a software, you know, became the software mogul of the world because he thought that that's where all the money was. He became a software mogul because he was interested in software before it was economic, before there was a big opportunity, and then the opportunity sort of, you know, crystallized around him. And so um, I, I would say that I got there for the strange reason, and I was there well you know, at the point in time when you could really establish yourself at, before it became something uh, remarkable and great. So once there, it's pretty clear that you, you, you grabbed the opportunities that you were able to identify and you, you obviously were extremely successful and your, and your fund was very successful. Um, and then of course, 
as the story progressed and you became an activist investor, you ran up against the com combined weight of oligarchs and, and the state. Um, to what extent is the rule of law necessary, a necessary requirement for an activist investor of the kind that you, that you were to be successful? Well, so there was no rule of law in Russia. Um, the oligarchs and corrupt government officials were stealing all the money of the companies that we invested in out the back door for their own personal accounts. And we had to try to find a way to stop this. The, the securities were all trading almost for nothing um, because everybody assumed that everything was gonna be stolen. And, um, and so we were buying them cheap, but we needed to do something to stop the stealing. Mm -hmm. And normally a rule of law would be what you would use to try to stop the stealing. You go to court or you go to the police or whatever, but they didn't have, the police weren't policing, the courts were all, uh, the judges were all bribed. And so we, we found sort of a workaround and the workaround was um, doing research on how they were doing the stealing and then to um, share the research with the international media. We called it naming and shaming campaigns. And because a lot of these oligarchs wanted to go to Wall Street at some point, or, um, uh, or just generally needed to be sort of accepted in the Western world because they had a lot of money in Russia, they needed to like get invested in the rest of the world. Um, these naming and shame, shaming campaigns actually had a, a remarkable effect on them, but it was a workaround. And, um, uh, and then eventually what happened was that the oligarchs um, who had all the power in the country um, and the oligarchs, I should lump Putin in with that group, um, turned on me mm -hmm. and they expelled me from the country and then did all sorts of terrible things. And so in the end, my workaround was a temporary workaround, but in the end you need rule of law and property rights. And in fact, now as a sort of private investor, I'm not a fund manager anymore, I'm, I'm a full-time human rights activist, but to the extent that I invest my own money, none of it is invested in non-rule of law countries because it's so obvious to me that there is a sort of uh, infinite downside to not having it. It doesn't matter what analysis you do to determine the, the growth of an economy or the, um, uh, the prospects of a company, if that's not gonna accrue to you when it all comes good, which is entirely likely and possible in places where the rule of law doesn't exist, then there's no point in investing. Mm -hmm. Did you find that you had to learn new skills to be able to suddenly navigate a completely different world to the, the business world that you were very successful in? Well, and um, there's, there, I mean, there's, there are new challenges. I don't know if there's new skills per se, and you know, the, the world of policy requires different, you, know, you have to maximize on different sets of variables in order to succeed, but you know, the one thing I did, which I think worked and, and made, it, made me effective is applying the same sense of business rigor, you know, goals and, and measurement of goals and, and so on that I applied as an as a, uh, uh, investment manager. Um, and that, uh, that rigor was not present in the human rights community. Mm -hmm. You don't have a lot of highly trained you know, highly motivated people um, who ha who have, you know, uh, you know, make you know ma make your list your objectives, measure your objectives, achieve your objectives, modify your course, review what works, what doesn't. You know, we 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 apply all the same tools, mm. 
And it was remarkably effective in the world of human rights because everybody there are all very nice people, but they, um, many people there just don't have the training that, that I had. You know, I, I went through all the most you know, hardcore, difficult institutions as I was going, growing up, um, which gave me this discipline. And so um, I now understand that you're, you're taking that discipline and you're, you're applying it full time to this kind of work. So what is it you're working on? What, what, are, what are your causes now? Well, it's very simple. We're trying to get something called the Magnitsky Act passed in as many countries as possible around the world. The Magnitsky Act is a piece of legislation named after my lawyer, Sergei Magnitsky, who was murdered. Um, and the purpose of, of legislation is to impose visa sanctions and asset freezes on human rights violators. And we now have six countries that have passed this law, the United States, Canada, the UK, Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania. And the next big target is the European Union, which, is, which will be a grand prize if we win it. It's 28 countries, um, but it's the hardest prize to gain because there are 28 different opinions. And so how do you go about achieving unanimity across the European Union? This is something which uh, I think many people have tried to, to, to do. Well, I think there's many people that are very frustrated with the European Union. Um, you can look, look in the UK, which is my home country now, and, and you can see that half the country is fed up with the European Union. Um, it's, it's a hard institution to crack. It's highly um, dysfunctional, not transparent, um, and there's all sorts of conflicts of interest and, and at pockets of corruption, so it's not easy. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about your, your citizenship. So you renounced your US citizenship to become a UK citizen. What was your, your thinking behind that, your motives at the time? Well, I have an unusual American background in that my grandfather was this American communist. And so unlike most Americans where the system has only provided opportunities in my family, the system closed in on my family and, and um, uh, persecuted them. And there was a lot of things that happened, but the thing that, that was sort of most horrible and, and sort of heartbreaking and, and sort of left a poison, poisonous feeling was that my grandmother, who my grandfather married, who he met in Russia, um, uh, was dying of cancer. And on her deathbed, as part of the persecution uh, against my grandfather, um, the equivalent of ICE, the uh, immigration service, wanted to deport her back to Russia. And, um, and for, for me, I've never been able to sort of come to terms with that. And I was offered an opportunity to become British. And I said, this country has a thousand years of institutions and the rule of law, and I can't imagine that ever happening. And so when I was given an opportunity to become British, I relinquished my American citizenship. But given your recent experience in Britain, do you, do you still have the same view of it as you did previously? Well, so Britain is, is actually um, a very safe place for everybody. Um, it's just, uh, it's, it's a little too safe for, for criminals. In other words, um, you know, I don't believe that, that anyone ever gets sort of deported based on their beliefs and so on and so forth. But I, but I, um, uh, but I don't think that people who are being prosecuted um, for criminal activities get prosecuted in enough numbers in Britain. Mm -hmm. So we're a member organization. Uh, most of our members work in, in finance and investments uh, globally. And daily, they're likely to face ethical dilemmas, um, hopefully not of the, if you like, the magnitude of the issues that you yourself face in your investment firm um, and with your lawyer, but nevertheless, significant to them. So what advice would you give to someone who has uh, an ethical dilemma? Well, I mean, it, it's, too, it's, it's way too broad a question because it depends on the ethical dilemma. But, um, uh, you know, we, we all 
have to live with ourselves, um, hopefully for a long time. Now, as you say, most people hopefully don't have to face that type of choice, but um, you know, I feel a lot cleaner as an inside of my body and inside of my morals and inside of my mind having made that choice. Um, and I'm actually, although heartbroken and, and I have to live with the heartbreak of what happened to Sergey, I, I, I wake up in the morning feeling clean and good and virtuous and, and working on a, a righteous mission. And that's, that gives me a certain sense of, of peace. And, um, uh, you know, one shouldn't lose your inner peace um, for money. Excellent. Well, I think that's a great note to finish. Bill Rauder, thank, thank you, you very much. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider rating and reviewing us on iTunes or wherever you're listening. We'd love to hear your thoughts and it helps others find the show. Also, a quick reminder, this podcast isn't intended to provide expert advice on the topics we covered. If you need tax, accounting, or legal advice, please consult a professional. I am Lauren Foster. Thanks so much for listening.